You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. In fact, it's one of those incredible days where everybody thinks it's summer already, uh, where we actually broke 80 degrees out here in the just blue sky, not a cloud out there. And of course, the tree pollen's about 9,010 right now. So uh, if, if, my, if I start hacking a little bit, you, you'll understand why. Um, it's just one of the, the dangers of living in the Pacific Northwest. I am Jay Bozovich, your host of the Bose Nose Show, and I am West Lane County Commissioner here in Lane County. And this show is coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And uh, we've got, I think I've got an interesting show today, but I always like it when people call in and take me in a different direction because the real reason I do this show is to give people an opportunity to talk to me. And you can call in at 646 646- 721-9887 and just press one that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. And you know, you can always send us an email at talk at krbnradio.net. But if you want to call in, it's 646-721-9887 and just press one. Let's us know you want to get in on the conversation. So it's, you know, kind of getting to be super crazy season for me. You know, it, it's already a lot of work being a county commissioner, and it's even more work being the chair of the board this year. And then, of course, I'm up for re-election. That adds to it. And starting next week, it's budget season. No, it's election season. Budget season. Election season. Rabbit season. Duck season. <laughs> I'm sorry. Flashbacks to childhood there. Uh, for those of you that that are you know didn't grow up with violent cartoons of the 60s and 70s, wouldn't remember Daffy Duck and and uh, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd arguing over rabbit season and duck season because uh, it involved gun violence. Oh my gosh! Uh, but uh, it is kind of the crazy season as we start budget season where we actually have several budget meetings a week on top of all of our normal meetings. Got a document that's basically about a thousand pages thick to, to, to digest, lots of numbers, lots of detail, all that stuff to take care of. At the same time, you're running around trying to get yourself you know, hired for the next four years, basically, because when you're a county commissioner, you only get a job performance evaluation once every four years, and it's pass or fail. You don't get, uh, you know, the, the, the needs improvement or, or uh, you know, doing job satisfactorily or something like that. You're either in or you're out. And, and uh, so that puts a lot of 
a lot of extra work trying to, to do the, the re-election stuff. At the same time, I got to go through and do all the budget stuff. We're actually having our first uh, public hearing for the budget uh, next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock at Harris Hall will be the actual public hearing. If you want to be um, in, you know, really knowledgeable, you can come at 5.30 when the budget committee starts meeting and you can listen to the budget message from our county administrator and uh, hear some of the background um, information that were um, given from staff. But the actual uh, public hearing, you know, for folks to stand up and say, I want to make sure you fund this or you can go ahead and cut that. You know, I want this or want that. Um, that starts at seven o'clock uh, where the public can come in and testify at Harris Hall there in downtown Tuesday night, 7 p.m. in the evening, not a daytime meeting. So that's our, our first uh, public hearing on the budget. Then we get to meet the next day uh, and we're going to uh, take a tour of our parole and probation operation because that's got some interesting things going on. Have another budget committee meeting in the afternoon on Thursday and on and on and on. So 20 days from election. So it's all all that crazy stuff actually was down this weekend because I got a cold. One of the, the dangers of being a, a political candidate is you shake a lot of hands. And you get hugs from people sometimes and whatever else. And eventually something is going to catch you, particularly because you're tired. You've been you know, working lots of hours and staying up late and going to evening meetings and whatever else. And it finally caught up to me last weekend. So take care of yourselves out there because it's a crazy world. So once again, you're listening to Bo's Nose Show. If you want to get in on the conversation, 646-721-9887. Press one, lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. I, I, we had a little technical difficulty last week. Um, and didn't get the show on the air. So I wanted to talk about a couple things that I wanted to talk about last week uh, because there are a couple things that happened last week that I didn't get a chance to talk about. I am um, the governor's appointee for uh, to represent all the counties in Oregon and ba basically on a the Criminal Justice Commission's Justice Reinvestment Act Grant Review Committee. That's quite a mouthful, I know. Basically, it's a committee that reviews um, whether or not folks get funded with, a, with uh, state money for some of their restorative justice programs that are meant to keep people either out of prison in the first place or prevent them from coming back to prison or to provide alternatives to prison. It's about trying to prevent um, jumping over the populations in prison that cause us the need to build more prisons and staff more prisons. And they're, what they're doing is reinvesting that savings at the county level to run these programs. And uh, got to look at four counties in particular last week that have only been granted a one year um, of funding uh, and they had to come back and ask for their second year funding to show us, you know, kind of what they were doing because they're kind of are on the edge of, um, of the last round of grants for the biennium. And uh, I thought all the, the counties presented good information about how they kind of um, had tweaked their plans and looked at data and they met with, with the folks at the Criminal Justice Commission and Department of Justice about their prison usage and where they might be more effective. Um, 
and uh, I was ready to extend everybody through the second year, um, but I was not in the majority. And and um, some of the commission, some of the the committee members are recommending we actually make the recommendation to the full criminal justice commission, and they adopt it. Um, but some of the committee members didn't feel that Lynn County had done enough, and that Lynn L Y L I N N, not Lane. I know it's hard sometimes on the radio to make the, that distinction, but Lynn County. Um, it may is in jeopardy of whether they get their second year funding, and I argued for them to to continue to get that funding. So it'll be <clears throat> interesting to see what the Criminal Justice Commission does with that information. Of a kind of split vote um, on that issue, and whether they decide to to kind of uh, take that. You know, it, it's kind of like the state might be punishing themselves because they take that money away from Lynn County. That's the money meant to keep prisoners out of prison and keep them from building prisons. So it's sort of a um, a dangerous place to go. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that gets handled. At the same time, the same almost the same day, I think uh, I have to go back and look at my calendar. They run together. I attended a um, town hall meeting in Dune City, which is the um, smallest incorporated city in my district. I think their total population might be 500. And uh, Dune City is a unique city in that it doesn't have a permanent property tax rate. And uh, they are um, they're going to uh, they were kind of looking at what they could do for public safety because there've been some issues down there that um, that have been a problem and. Folks might remember in the news about a year ago or so, there was a um, family down there renting a couple houses, having a reunion when some uh, nut job showed up uh, high and with a weapon and started threatening people. And it actually took about 45 minutes to get a law enforcement response to that situation and down in Dune City. And it, that kind of raised people's awareness that there was an issue with law enforcement response time down in that part of the county. Actually, that same issue is is there anywhere outside of an incorporated city that does, that has a police force. Because when you get out there, you, you're depending on the Lane County Sheriff's Department to be your first responder, backed up by the um, state police, and then ultimately sometimes even on high, high um, high risk calls, they'll send people out from a city police force. But when you think about that Dune City is even, you know, a good 10 or 15 minutes south of Florence, it's not, it's six miles as the crow flies. Um, Florence isn't normally, you know, they don't always have staff on. They're not, a, they're not a very large police force and they usually only have one guy on. So if they won't send a single person without backup to, a report of somebody with a weapon so that you know that that's not necessarily the option to, to send the Florence police officer there now, on this particular case what happened was there had been a call on the east side of the county and the guy that actually got to Florence in 45 minutes got there from Lowell and if people are familiar with Lane County that's not a 45 minute drive to get from Lowell to Dune City <laughs> 
that 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 sheriff's deputy was definitely not obeying the speed limit um and uh he made it there in record time i'm sure lights and sirens the whole way um and then with backup from osp i think they're able to 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 deal with the situation but with the open house was basically for the public to kind of learn a little bit about that because there there are a lot of people that have moved into this area in the last several years and they were completely unaware of how law enforcement was provided in that area because dune city doesn't have their own police force so the sheriff's department is their first responder and people didn't understand that so that the sheriff was there representing the sheriff's office uh there was a um i don't know if it was a lieutenant or a captain uh vaughn from and uh the state police along with the sergeant that is the uh, the uh uh, the lead officer of the Florence Barracks and uh, for OSP and uh, Tom Turner, who's now the captain of the uh, Florence or, or the chief, I should say, of the Florence police um, were all there answering questions as well as the mayor of Dune City um, from the from the public that, that was invited to attend this. And I showed up to support um, all those people at the invitation of the mayor and actually ended up in the conversation somewhat as people wanted to understand how the sheriff's office is funded and, and, and the difficulties in funding that and um, some of the options that might be available to improve uh, public safety in Lane County. But it was an interesting meeting because it, it was if there was the quintessential first you know, couple that had moved here from California, uh, sold their house in California and bought a nice place in Dune City to retire and had absolutely no idea that they didn't have quick police response. They just, they were blissfully ignorant of the situation they lived in and had no idea that you may have to handle whatever happens at your house for 45 minutes to an hour before you actually get somebody there that, you know, that has a badge and, and wears a uniform and carries a gun. And uh, that was some of what the discussion was. And there was quite a bit of discussion about setting up neighborhood watch. There's quite a bit of discussion about what it takes to actually um, contract with the sheriff's department that if the city were to, to um, want to hire some police officers. And we talked about um, what that cost and 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 uh, how much it you know really cost to put deputies on the street and the length of time it takes to staff up a, uh, if we did get a new funding source how how much it would take to staff up a police department because of the length of training time it takes to get somebody from hire to actually in a car by themselves so which is about 12 months by the way uh it it's a it's a difficult problem and not an easy one for the folks in dune city to answer because to, to have a police force like Benita has which is basically um, four deputies and a half-time sergeant. They um, they need to provide um, about eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for that contract, and that does not provide them with twenty-four-seven coverage. There are some times a day when they don't have an officer on duty, and most of that time they just have one officer on duty. So that's a real, um, real difficult thing. Uh, you know, when you think about a small 
town that basically has 500 people for them to to fund that they, you know maybe they pass a five-year levy and they want to fund that through the sheriff's department um that's a lot of money for people to come up with <laughs> you know that that's you know a hefty sum so them providing their own police department wasn't really an answer you know when once they start looking at how much it's going to cost so the real you know solution to the problem is there there's two things that have to happen one oregon state police has been woefully underfunded by the legislature over the years they have not kept up with what it costs to keep an officer on the street wages have gone up over time training costs have gone up because now they, you know everybody's getting trained for everything including things like you know making sure you're not pulling over you know being careful that you're not pulling over just minorities and that you're 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 being careful and sensitive to um any uh, unknown biases that you may have as an officer you know the, you know from that training to you know all the weapons training they have to do uh staying physically fit and everything else um understanding the law uh there's a lot of training they go through so the cost of having a, an, an officer on the street has continued to rise and legislatures basically kept the osp's budget flat or even cut it to some degrees to where they've gone from where they used to have 600 troopers patrolling our highways in oregon to a little over 300 now in the last 20 years and the population of Oregon's grown and the number of people driving on our highways because OSP's primary function, and that's something people didn't understand either, their primary mission is safety on state highways. Secondarily, they can be called off those state highways to back up local law enforcement. They are not a primary law enforcement agency. Kind of like, you know, um, a park ranger. You know, his, their, their duties are to, you know, to go around and enforce park rules and keep parks safe. They can be pulled out of there to back up a, a, a an officer, but that's not their, their mission is not to be out there doing general law enforcement. Their mission is to keep parks safe. That's the mission of the state police is to keep our state highways safe. But there's a lot less of them now. So even their ability to come out and back up sheriff's deputies is quite limited. In the meantime, and at the same time, we're suffering through what's happened with federal federal timber funding. And the fact that a lot of southwestern Oregon counties funded a lot of their law enforcement programs and their general fund with timber receipts that we used to get from the federal government, either through the um, BLM lands, the ONC lands, and through the U.S. Forest Service uh, to some extent. And those monies have gone away and are probably never going to come back at the levels they've come they used to be at so that kind of took sheriff's offices across southwestern oregon to minimal staffing and there was a short while there where our lane county sheriff's office didn't even have patrol for 20 hours 24 hours a day there were a good eight hours a day where there was nobody on the street if there was an emergency they would call up whoever was designated to be on call wake them up they'd have to pull their boots and, and uniform on jump in their car from their house and go respond to that call 
Um, that's not the case now. We managed to, to scrape some funding together, and we now actually have 24-hour coverage, but that coverage is very limited to three deputies, basically, at most times covering the entire county. So if they get a call that requires backup, there's two of the deputies occupied, and if another one happens to be tied up um, responding to a serious injury motor vehicle accident or something else, you know, it's pretty easy to have those deputies tied up on calls, and, and that's one of the reasons why you won't see a response to a non-life-threatening situation. You know, if it's just that your property got stolen, um, that's not going to generate necessarily deputies showing up unless they just happen to be close by and not on, on a high-priority call, which, which is not a very good chance. So there's a real lack of law enforcement capacity out in rural Lane County and rural Oregon, particularly southwestern rural Oregon. And that's something that needs to change. And one of the things I'm looking at, at to do in the future is to establish something called um, a law enforcement enhancement districts in Lane County. And it's a, basically a special district, kind of like um, there are special districts set up all over the county right now. You think about most of your fire districts are considered a special district under Oregon law. Um, the West Lane Ambulance District, the um, uh, Fern Ridge Library District, those are all special districts. And what this would do is a law enforcement district, though, would always be considered a county district. So the Board of Commissioners would be the elected body that runs the district. But what we would try and do is do something that Deschutes County did and have two districts that overlay the entire county. One that covers everybody, whether you have a city police force or not, and that funds things that everybody uses, like the jail services and and uh, prisoner transport, you know, things that that everybody uses, because when Eugene Police Department arrest somebody or Florence Police Department arrest somebody under a felony charge, they have to be held in Lane County's jail because municipal jails are not certified to hold people charged with felonies. They can only hold misdemeanor people. And most of them can only hold misdemeanor folks that are in good health and are men because they don't have enough set up to be holding both men and women. You know, that's so we end up holding just about everybody. And in particular, we get, you know, anyone that's got health problems because most most of the municipal jails don't have medical staff. So we get all the felony folks. So even the folks in Eugene need to be paying for those jail beds. Then there would be another district that would not include cities that have a police force. It wouldn't include if you lived inside the city of Florence or inside the city of Benito because they contract for police or Junction City or Eugene and that would fund rural patrol specifically and and, the, and just that function and that would be a really important thing to have because that would help us reestablish much better coverage where we wouldn't have to have such long response times you know we're just we're fortunate sometimes that we've got deputies that have been contracted uh, for other purposes. Like we've got a deputy that patrols the, the dunes that's contracted through the, the Oregon State Parks Division. 
and mostly is out there to try and keep people safe that are running OHVs out on the dunes and, and uh, protecting them. But that dunes deputy has sometimes been the backup deputy to a call on the coast in, in the Westland County area. Or he's even sometimes been called out from home to respond. There's Marine Patrol deputies that are funded through the State Marine Board that are primary function is to patrol the waterways of the state and keep people safe. But those Marine Patrol deputies have been backup and primary responders. We have two deputies that are contracted from the Bureau of Land Management to protect federal forest lands. And they're supposed to be out, you know, in those areas patrolling those gravel roads and, and keeping those areas safe. But I know those deputies have been primary responders. In fact, I know there was a call in Deadwood uh, several years ago about a, a guy that had showed up in a woman's home and was, you know, um, in a mostly naked state holding a shovel, threatening her because he was high as a kite on something. And the first deputy that got to that scene happened to be one of our contract deputies with the BLM. You know, so we're fortunate to have some of the, that that ability to back up our patrol force sometimes with those contract deputies, but it really shouldn't be that way. We really should have a fully staffed rural patrol situation, and we need to look at that Deschutes County model, those dual enhanced law enforcement districts, and uh, something I'm working towards, it took Deschutes County about eight years to put them in place. It's not an easy thing to do because you're forming new governments. Special districts are a form of government and have taxing authority. They have to have elected boards. So that is really, um, really what what we uh, need to to um, work towards here in Lane County is that fully funded rural patrol because it's really critical, really critical for lots of reasons, particularly road safety. Which brings me to another subject about Beltline Open House, but I want to real quick make sure anyone that's out there wants to give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press one if you have a question for me here on the Bose Nose Show. And uh, we'll get you on online here and get you set up and uh, get you in the queue. In fact, I think Robin's queuing somebody up right now. So I believe we've got Christopher on the line. Yeah. Christopher, this is Jay Bozovich. Do you have a question for me or a comment? Oh, hey, Jeff. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm over here at the Patriot Place in Florence. It's uh, a new uh, kind of conservative meeting building, and uh, they suggested I called in because I was complaining um, that you know, I find it to be kind of divisive and unfair that we're not being allowed to vote on the aerial spraying ban um, in this next coming election. I think that's a, that's that's really bothering a lot of people, especially out here on the coast where we really value our forests and the ecology that goes along with them. Yeah. So, you know, one of the, the there's a lot of um, poor information about that issue out there, but one of the things that, that folks have to understand is 
the citizens initiative process, which is what those folks were trying to, to do, was they, they had initiated a citizens petition to amend our charter. There is no role for the Board of Commissioners in that process. It is a citizen driven process that is governed by uh, state statutes and we don't do anything in that process. We don't we can't we can't tell the clerk that she has to put it on the ballot because we don't have that authority and we can't tell her not to put something on the ballot because we don't have that authority. So we have not taken any votes done anything relative to whether that initiative was going to make the ballot or not. What has happened is is it, there was a lawsuit initially that challenged the 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 measure that it violated a certain state statute um, ORS um, 203725-2 I believe is the number which talks about any charter amendment any amendment to a county charter has to separate the votes, what they call it. It's a separate vote test where you can't put several things together that people could have different answers to. It's sort of like, you know, um, they don't want to, to have something in there that says, do you believe chocolate ice cream is great? And at the same time, having that same and and um, have some mandatory jail sentencing talk connected to it, something silly like that. The whole idea is that they want to make sure people have the opportunity to vote on each thing separately when you're amending a, a charter, which is basically the constitution of the county. Same thing as happens with state um, initiative petitions. That uh, lawsuit basically said, yes, they have to meet that rule, but we, we don't think it's right to be tested because the, the, the statute doesn't say when you're going to do that test. So once the signatures were turned in and it was getting ready to be sent to the ballot by um, the judge's order, it had to go through that test and it was determined it didn't pass that test and that that determination was appealed and the judge said, upheld the ruling that it didn't pass that test. Again, there's no involvement by the Board of Commissioners in that process, but it's about if you're going to amend a charter, it has to separate different things that vote on and that particular initiative had multiple different pieces that people might feel a little bit differently about um, particularly you know, it, it included um, some issues about you know not only the, the ban but ways it would be enforced and penalties and you might have differing opinions on some of those issues and that and the judge basically said there was over a dozen separate issues that should have been pulled apart and, and submitted as separate uh, initiatives. So that's kind of where that stands and why it didn't make the ballot. Um, and there's okay. no place for the Board of Commissioners to to overrule any of that because it's not our 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 process. So if that and and hopefully what will happen is is the petitioners can go back and either rewrite it if they want to keep it a charter amendment. And they also have the option to decide that instead of making a charter amendment to make it an ordinance which would change county code not the county charter and that doesn't have the separate vote requirement it still has to be a single issue and still has to be a legislative not an administrative uh, uh, law um, which is uh, another piece of the legal requirements of initiatives but they wouldn't have to pass a separate vote because county code, which is 
which is laws don't have you can wrap a bunch of stuff into a single vote for a code amendment because ultimately that can be revised by the board of commissioners if there was some mistake made or something that they want needed to be fixed later whereas a charter amendment can only be fixed by another vote of the people so does that that makes sense okay. there is opportunity for, yeah. for, the, for the folks that were, were proponents of that um, to uh, get it on the ballot on a future future election um, in, in several different ways. Sure. And, you know, um, I think the with most people, they're definitely probably it's, it's a hard issue to understand why I got pulled off the ballot. Um, I think the biggest issue yeah. is people don't really understand why it's being allowed in the first place, because it seems like such a toxic thing. And it seems like something that is hard to control with the amount of winds we have here. So I think it's a, it definitely is a scary issue, a lot of emotions involved. And um, I think if we were able to get it on the ballot in a way that was valid, you would see the voters um, make the choice to ban it. I, I think you, you, you may be surprised because I've actually seen polling that, that doesn't show that. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of misinformation about um, how aerial herbicides are applied and, and where they're applied and how often and, and just the technology. I will say that the Sayusla National Forest, which is most of the coastal forest down there, there's not a lot of private forest on the coast. Um, you know, that's federal lands and they don't use aerial spray on federal lands. That, that's, that hasn't well, you've been practiced got, for quite a while. You've got Roseburg Limited Co. and they own a big swath of land right behind Silkus and Wohink. And mm -hmm. I think it's, I think they probably do spray right there. And that's, that's the water source for the whole South Lakes community. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that's, that's, there's lots of data on and, and I could, if you wanted to send me an email, I could send you a spreadsheet about it. Um, there's there's data for going back into the uh, early 2000s for when any sort of herbicide or pesticide showed up at a water intake in the state of Oregon, because it's one of the things that, that public water utilities have to report on. And there's never been a detect for herbicide or pesticide at a public water intake facility in Lane County in the whole time they've been doing that program. So well, it, south of know, the, Florence, there is no the, public water. There are actually a couple public water districts in that area. There's there's a the yeah, one that has actually drilled, there, they're private. There's 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 their um their water districts. They actually are their special district which may they're they're a public they're supplying water to the public which puts them in that category that they have to do that testing okay. they may be they may be owned by a private entity but if they're serving more than three customers they have to they have to do that kind of testing okay well, that's good so that, it just it but it it's one of you know, one of the other things is the cleanest water in the state comes from forested watersheds, whether it's public or private or federally owned um, lands up upstream of that. You know, the, the, the water quality at the EWEB intake, and there's plenty of private forest land on the McKenzie River, is incredible. I, uh, I, and I know this personally because I used to work for EWEB in the water division as a senior engineer. 
So I, I've seen the water quality data. There were there were water utilities when I went to to conferences across the country that were jealous of our raw water quality compared to what they could do on finished water quality. You know, it's just right. an amazing, amazingly clean resource. And um, and you know, it, it's it's a it's an interesting issue question? and and one that we uh, will have to look at in the future. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, and feel free to decline to answer if you want, but I'm curious to know where you stand on the spraying issue, whether you are a proponent or for banning spraying or not. I'm not for banning it, and I've, I've stated that publicly before, I, because I, I, I know the data, I understand the practices, yeah, most of what people point to and the scary stuff they talk about is stuff that happened over 40 or 50 years ago with chemicals that have been illegal about the same amount of time um, and with practices that have changed drastically. Um, it's it's something that only happens a couple times every 40 years or so uh, as they do the rotation through the, the um, timber practices here, and it's it's highly regulated. You know, from both the state and the federal level, and and uh, that's just kind of uh, where I am on it. You know, I just uh, I haven't seen as a public health issue there far greater uh, and more significant public health issues in this county that I I would rather focus on from uh, teen suicide to the op opioid epidemic to our rising level of sexually transmitted diseases in this community. Um, there there's you know, that is really um, pretty far down the scale. And, and as far as any really reported incidents that have been documented, it's almost non-existent. Okay. Well, that's good information and I appreciate you talking to me and taking my question today. Uh, no problem, Christopher. I, I appreciate calling it and asking the question because uh, I know it's a it, it's one of those things that's uh, very confusing about the legal aspects of why it didn't make the ballot. And there's a lot of people that have put information out there that's not accurate about us keeping it off the ballot, which we did not do. Kind of like the thing with people thought I voted for my own pay raise when I didn't. Um, you know, there's not always good information that gets out there about election time. Um, so I hope you understand that we had no role in keeping it off the ballot, um, and you know the the citizens have have all the I I really support the citizens' right to initiative. I've actually helped run petition initiative petitions in the state on on that side. So I'm not against citizen initiative petitions, um, but I do I do believe um, that you know. We 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 don't play a role in that. The whole point is we shouldn't be playing a role in that as a board. We should be hands off the initiative process. The unfortunate thing is they need to clarify the law at the legislative level to when that test gets applied. It really should have been applied before the folks had to go out and collect signatures, because that that that's right. a lot of effort to find out that they don't meet that test. And, and that's that's the only right. thing I would I'm I'm probably going to lobby the legislature to amend the law to to put when it gets applied into the statute. Yeah, that would that would be good because no one wants to waste their time. Yeah.
Yeah. And it's a lot of human yeah. capital to go out and collect 15,000 signatures. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm going to have to let you go right now, but uh, have, a, have a good rest of your talk. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks for calling. So that's how you get in on the Bose Nose Show. 646-721-9887. And you just press one, lets Robin know you want to get in. Puts a little question mark up on our call screener because we do occasionally get people that call just to listen to the show because they're away from their computer and can't get the show uh, on their on their computer or whatever. So we actually, in fact, we have one particular truck driver that calls now and then just to listen because she'll set her phone on speaker and uh, listen while she's driving down the highway because she can't really keep an internet signal uh, going up and down I-5 to California. So we do uh, do have people that call that don't want to talk. So that's why you have to press one. Let's us know you want to talk again. It's 646-721-9887. And I appreciate Christopher calling in and appreciate getting to clarify that issue around the citizens initiative process. So unless somebody else calls in, I'm going to move on to something as I was talking about the need for more rural patrol. One of the real issues in Lane County is we have one of the highest traffic fatality rates in the state. In a state that's got one of the fastest growing traffic fatality rates in the country. When a lot of traffic fatalities have started to taper off, suddenly Oregon's starting to go the wrong direction and Lane County seems to be leading the way. And I think a good portion of that has to do with the fact that we don't have that sheriff's patrol, but that OSP staff has been cut back and folks, once they're outside of the city limit where there's a, a police officer that might give them a ticket, drive like it's Mad Max time. You know, there's no rules and they, and they get impatient and they do silly things. There's a lot of distracted driving going on out there. There's a lot of impaired driving going on because as I looked at the data, as I held a, a task force on Highway 126 a couple of years ago about safety, we went through 10 years of, of serious injury and fatal crash data. Almost all of them were people that left their lane, lane departures as they call it. There's only a couple reasons you drive out of your lane on the road, which is basically you, you looked away from the road to, 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 to read that text, you're fiddling with your navigation system, you're a little drunk and couldn't stay between the lines, or you're a little sleepy and couldn't stay between the lines, or you're just going so darn fast you couldn't stay between the lines. And that leads to almost all of our wrecks in Lane County is that lane departure accident, which purely is about driver behavior. And the most effective way of changing driver behaviors is enforcement. And our lack of enforcement leading to that safety crisis. Speaking of public health issues, this is a public health issue. And one of the things you know, that is part of it though, is you can do some things with engineering. You know, there's what they call it the four E's of, of traffic safety. You can engineer in safety, you can use enforcement for safety, you can educate people on how to be safe, and you can have better emergency response. Because we all know, you know how quickly somebody ends up in an emergency room in a trauma center makes a big difference in whether they live or die. But emergency response is after the education, 
works to a certain extent, you know, but we, we, we do what you, how many times have you seen the don't drive drunk ads or heard them on the radio? Uh, and people still do it. So one of the most effective means is enforcement, but there is engineering, but engineering is the most costly of those four E's to try and achieve safety. And of course, you know, with lane departures, unless you're going to kind of like put up, wall, you know, concrete walls that keep people in their lanes, which means that, you know, when are they ever going to be able to turn off the road? Um, it, it's, that's really not a serious way of, of curing some of the, those safety issues, but there are some that are caused by congestion and weaving movements and just unsafe highway design. So what we <laughs> Robin just sent me a little note. It says, one thing we could do is don't drive stupid, <laughs> which is that, well, like I said, it's driver behavior, <laughs> another form of driver behavior. But um, one of the things we can do is try and at least where the roads sometimes contribute to that safety level. And one of the places we see a lot of accidents is where you have to get in and out of traffic and change lanes a lot, almost unnecessarily because the design of the road has either gotten overcrowded, congested, and people are trying to get around congestion and turn in last minute. And the perfect example of that is Beltline Road from Delta Highway to River Road. And we all, anyone in Westland County that ever has to traverse over the Willamette River on Beltline knows how bad that area is, how it constantly has accidents, maybe not always life-threatening accidents, um, but a significant number of accidents that cause huge delays. Speaking of wasted human capital, capital in, in circulating a petition that's no good, sitting in, in traffic, you know, what, you know, 10, 15 minutes at a time, a half hour, who knows? There's been days where it took me 45 minutes to get over the Lambert River. That's wasted people's time that could be doing something productive. Not only that, think about all the carbon that's being put in the air of, the, of those idling vehicles as they crawl along in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. I went to the Beltline open house last night that ODOT put on about the future of Beltline from Delta Highway to River Road. And they showed their, their proposed projects they're getting ready to do the environmental assessments on and were asking for public comment and comment forms there. And you can still comment on Beltline uh, through an online process with, with ODOT, um, which I think if you... Uh, you know, want to drop me an email, I can send you a link. But if you go to ODOT's webpage and uh, uh, type in Beltline Project in the search, I think you can find their Beltline's project page and follow a link there. But they also um, had some updates on some continuing projects that are going on. And one of those um, continuing projects is an improvement right at Delta and Beltline that they're funding with leftover money that they saved on the I-5 Beltline interchange project, which was a huge project. Um, but they managed to come in 7 million below the original budget on that project. And they're transferring that $7 million over to this project at uh, Delta and Beltline. It'll be the first 
step in this multi-phase project that's going to cost approximately 260 to 300 million dollars to fix Beltline in a much more permanent fashion. But this project will actually help separate some of the exiting traffic that's going on to Beltline Road from the through traffic going north on Delta Highway up into the north um, uh, that area of North Delta and around uh, Good Pasture, uh, uh, Green Acres Road, and 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 on up in that Ayers, Ayers Road, et cetera, um, from that exiting traffic. And if, if anyone that goes through that intersection in the afternoon knows that ramp backs up onto North Delta, which causes a lot of problems and a lot of rear end accidents, and some some pretty severe. Um, as traffic comes to a sudden halt sometimes with the changing of the lights up there and everything else. So there's going to be some changes to that intersection coming. But they also have some money that they've gotten out of the new uh, House Bill 2017. A uh, little bit of a misnomer that Beltline didn't get anything out of that bill. They're going to be repaving Beltline basically from I-5 around to uh, West 11th. And there's uh, that repaving work is going to be being done at night over the next year or so, but it could cause some delays for folks because there'll be pieces of it they have to do during the day and, and even the nighttime stuff gets to be challenging for some folks. So um, be looking forward to that. They have to do some uh, bridge repair work. The bridge that, that it, there's a little hump of a bridge between Roosevelt and uh, West 11th that goes over the channel there needs some um, upgrade work so they're going to be doing some work there and at the same time there there's a repaving project for highway 126 west between Benita and eugene that'll be going on this coming summer and there's a portion of that where they're actually going to have to close the road down to one lane to repair a bridge um, so folks that live in Benita and on west as you come try and get to i-5 it's going to be an interesting summer and next year of various construction projects. And there's actually a, um, a schedule, a graphic schedule that shows when those projects are going to be happening and a map um, that's available now from ODOT, which I think you can get to in the same Beltline Projects uh, website. But if you want to get a copy of it, I can also email folks a copy of that map and schedule. But there's some significant upgrades to that. but one of the things that they're doing with that Beltline Delta project with that leftover I-5 money is to eliminate some of that weaving mov movements I've talked about and that rear-ending sort of accident so that it gets rid of a couple different styles of accident potentials and really gets you to uh, a place that uh, allows you to uh, prevent some accidents with engineering work. But that's millions of dollars to do that. Whereas if we could just increase our patrol, the problem with patrol is it's not one-time money, it's ongoing money you know, that we have to provide. And every, every sheriff's deputy we add is about 130 to 150,000 of our annual budget. But you have to add about 5.8 deputies to cover a 24-7 schedule. So call it six. So when you start talking about 150,000 times six, you're basically talking about $900,000. And then you're talking about some command staff and stuff to go above it. So you're talking about a million dollars just to add 
one deputy more instead of having three deputies having four deputies online for um, that so that's where we have to look at that enhanced law enforcement district to provide that permanent ongoing funding of that enforcement side um, you know because you know the ultimate fix the belt line to make it safe is 300 million and that's going to be a significant um, chunk of change and we'll have to look for federal monies and state monies and everything else to put that together. But had that Beltline hearing last night, saw a few people I know there um, from the Santa Clara and River Road neighborhoods and even uh, folks that were from other places in the county came by to, to hear what was going on. That was out at North Eugene High School last week. I want to talk a little bit about some upcoming stuff as we're getting into the closing minutes of Bo's Nose show. Uh, some uh, election related stuff. I'm having a community conversation tomorrow at two o'clock at Terry's Diner, and that's in the Riviera Shopping Center there on River Road, which is that shopping center that's just inside Beltline on River Road. Uh, speaking of that notorious intersection, it's the same shopping center that's got a uh, Wells Fargo uh, Bank in front of it, and and it, most people know it because Cal's Donuts right there. Terry's is just a couple doors down from Cal's Donuts. Um, so Terry's Diner at two o'clock, um, and I've got a generous uh, uh, sponsor that is going to uh, be uh, a lot, having some refreshments there. So come by. I'll I'll talk for a few minutes, but I'm mostly there to answer questions. People get to meet me in person. You know, so the, the, come meet your Westland County Commissioner, and I'll talk about why I'd like you to support me in my re-election bid um, a little bit and, and just get to know you. So tomorrow, 2 o'clock, Terry's Diner, and tonight I'm doing a telephone town hall that starts at 6.30, and uh, we'll be dialing out to a bunch of folks in Westland County. So if, you get, if your phone rings right at 6.30, it could be me calling to at, invite you to a telephone town hall tonight. And uh, you can opt in or out of getting getting that uh, call, and we'll we'll be uh, talking about economic development a little bit tonight, and taking questions. And we'll actually have some interactive polls as part of that telephone town hall. And if you're interested in calling in because you might have um, a number that's unlisted or cell phone, um, go to my Facebook page, Jay Bozovich for West Lane County, Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner. And uh, there's an event there for the telephone town hall. If you click on events, you can find a telephone town hall. The call in number is there under the place of the event. You know, usually it would have an address. It'll have the telephone number, which is a, a, a toll free number, and then the code to get to that particular telephone town hall. Starts at 6.30 tonight, should go about an hour. So 6.30 tonight, telephone town hall. Two o'clock tomorrow afternoon, Terry's Diner. And uh, I'll be out and about, I think, in the, the Veneta area doing some door-to-door -door on Saturday morning. Probably going to show up for a while at the Fernridge Chamber of Commerce Business Expo at Deep Woods Event Center out on Territorial Highway. That's running from 2 to 5 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So I'll be around in the community. And then next week, coming up on May 3rd, is um, a candidate forum for the West Lane County Commissioner's race with the Santa Clara Community Organization. And that's out at Messiah Lutheran Church on River Road 
at 7 p.m. So I'll probably be posting an event about that uh, in the next couple days. So keep an eye on my Facebook page, Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commissioner. And that's where you can find out about all these events because it's getting close to when those ballots are going to be mailed. In fact, they're getting mailed tomorrow. So you should see your ballot sometime Friday or Saturday. If you don't have it by next Tuesday, call, call Lane County Elections and tell them you didn't get your ballot if you're registered to vote. You should have gotten it by next Tuesday. But we will, uh, we're looking for your support, you know, because I like to, to try and get to those long-term solutions for uh, rural patrol like i described that the shoots county model is going to take some doing because the first thing we have to do is amend the eugene springfield metro plan to allow those districts to actually be formed because the metro plan has a prohibition a ban on new special districts so that's the first step and that's already starting uh, with our staff to start that amendment process so i want to see that through in my next term like to see through some other things relative to housing, economic development, and just really continuing the great work of our budget. And I sort of teased Robin and told her that I might give a few budget spoilers before we actually get into our budget. And uh, somebody must have gotten the dogs upset. <laughs> no, they're excited about the spoilers. They're excited about the spoilers. But I will say one thing, last year we passed a a structurally balanced budget that didn't use reserves, we're going to be looking at doing the same thing this year. Another structurally balanced budget that doesn't use reserves. And we're even going to have some new and interesting things we're going to be doing around really stabilizing our PERS liability in Lane County and providing some advanced funding of that liability, because that's one of the things that saves us money on a year to year basis. And we might even be talking about some housing opportunities in our budget this year and providing some um, interesting um, options for, you know, that, you know, we got some uh, federal money we didn't expect in the, in the omnibus, omnibus spending bill that they passed um, just a few months ago. And uh, we're going to leverage some of that and see if we can do some uh, immediate things in the upcoming year relative to housing. So, Keep an eye on what happens next week when you hear the news about Lane County's budget, because I think there's some pretty exciting things coming up in our budget. So all sorts of stuff coming up in the next week. So you can tell next week's show ought to be interesting. Um, so you have to come back to the Bose Nose show next week here on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. Don't forget to like this Facebook page because then you get notifications of what's coming up on the show. And if we change show times, which sometimes happens because as a county commissioner, sometimes I'm not in control of my own life and things conflict and we have to move the show around. Um, but we'll be uh, back next week for the Bose No Show. Hope you enjoyed listening and I and heard something new and interesting. And I hope to see a bunch of people tomorrow at Terry's Diner. And I hope to talk to a bunch of you tonight on my telephone town hall. Have a great week. And then go out and enjoy this weather because it's supposed to start raining again this weekend. Have a great night and a great week. <laughs>